Well, we are um, closing out our series, um, asking for a friend through the book of Proverbs. Um, I feel like that song could actually preach the entire sermon for uh, today anyway. Um, Brings up a good point. If God needs nothing, God is complete in every way. He needs nothing. Then why are we told to serve? Why are we told to give as though God does need something? Is there something greater in, in the commands for generosity in the, in the, in the um, <clears throat> clear scriptural instruction to stay away from things that are greedy, things that are covetousness? So what does scripture have to say? Thank you. What does scripture have to say about greed and generosity? <clears throat> I titled the sermon, uh, Generous Hearts and Grasping Hands. Is it ever greedy to give? That's a question we don't think about. Is it ever greedy to actually give? I, uh, I, I aside from pastoring, I um, do counseling work with folks and Christian leaders. And I was uh, counseling with this pastor and um, they were telling me about their uh, parents growing up in their home that were so obsessed with the image of wealth that they would give all of their money at the cost of having food and paying their bills in the house. So he said, you know, we grew up in a home where everyone thought my parents were the most generous people you'd ever meet. He said, but it was actually all from a heart of greed that they wanted to, pre- they wanted to present themselves as people who were able to give um, uh, abundantly, openly, and people knew if they were given that much, they must be wealthy people. And yet, um, he said, we often went without food in our home and, and without bills. He said his parents um, ended up retiring, well, not retiring, growing old and um, very, very poor. And from the outside, it can look very generous. In fact, we would look at people like that and say, man, they are incredibly generous people. But, but what was going on behind that? So there are principles in the book of Proverbs that teach us about wise stewardship. In fact, scripture talks a lot about, Jesus talks a lot about wise stewardship. He says things like, if we're faithful with little, God will give us much. We have the parable of the talents where we're looking at, at the different levels of opportunity and, and um, experiences and circumstances we face and how we navigate those circumstances will determine whether we are actually faithful or not. We should do things like prepare for lean times, prepare for retirement. We should, we should save up things to opportunities to, to give to our children and help them start in, in their life. That these are all good things in life. And this is why greed can be so tricky sometimes because our hearts can be dominated by greed and covered up with something that seemingly is righteous or prudent. The human heart is extremely tricky. See, greed is a matter of the heart that's expressed in various ways. We often associate greed with the amount of money or the amount of uh, money we give or don't give is often the indicator that we like to put on whether a person is greedy. But there are all sorts of ways that we can hide greed if, if that is what's uh, dwelling in our hearts. I find myself generous in so many ways in my life, and yet there are times that it, it, now it just feels 
gross when I when when the Lord actually it's it's got to be a conviction the Lord shows me areas that I'm still greedy. Oftentimes it's things with my kids for some reason. You know, it, greedy with my time or greedy with something that I feel is mine and, or tools even. I find myself greedy with tools. Like, no, these are my tools. This is my special tool. And I'm thinking like, it's just a piece of metal, you know? And yet there's these, this desire, this pull for my heart. Now on the outside, I could, I could look generous, but on the inside, if there's still greed in my heart, this is what God wants to deal with. So if God needs nothing, why, why am I told to serve him? Why am I told to give to him? Colossians 3, 5, the apostle Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and all those things we would agree with and say, yep, this is, this is um, um, or these would be considered earthly. And then he says, and covetousness, which is greed. And he says, which is idolatry. Proverbs 28, 25 says, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. A greedy man stirs up strife. You would think that that just has to do with numbers. You would think that greed has to do with numbers, but actually a greedy heart stirs up strife. And I think about the areas in my own life that I catch myself wanting to be greedy in, and there's always strife involved. There's always selfishness involved. You think of, you think of even James when he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? We talk to our children about this often. Guys, what are you, what actually is causing this fight? Not that they ever fight, ever, but I'm just saying, if they were to fight, I would ask them the question, what is actually at the root of this? And James says, it's, it's selfish ambition. And so could it be that God is actually asking us to abstain from greed as a gift to us. See, greedy people are not always rich by world standards because greed isn't a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Greed knows no socioeconomic boundaries. So it's easy for us to look at at capitalism or, or look at the rich and say they're just greedy. But I know very, very, very wealthy people who are in immensely generous, incredibly generous. And I know wealthy people who are extremely greedy. I know poor people who are extremely generous, and I know poor people who are extremely greedy. Greed is not about what we have or don't have. It's about our stewardship of what God's given us to manage during our, our earthly time. If we look at what God allows in our lives, what he's given us, it's about stewardship. We don't, we don't think about all the reasons behind God giving the Sabbath, right? It's more, it's more than a, a day of worship or a day to reflect and rest and prepare for more work. The, the, the Sabbath is almost a, a form of resistance against the, the tyranny of greed. It forces us to entrust that day that we could be producing, that we could be getting. It forces us to entrust our hearts to the Lord. And is it not hard sometimes to be like, I have too much to do. I have to get too much done, especially for running businesses or, or dealing with families and ministries and all these other jobs, all that stuff. Well, I got to put in some more time. I got I to gotta do this because I have to have this in my life. See, the gift of the Sabbath is not because God needs our worship for a day. The gift of the Sabbath is for us. The gift of generosity, of generous hearts, is for our own liberation. It's interesting, even 
um, when he commanded them to let their entire land rest for a year every seven years and a jubilee year, a year of jubilee every 50. And during this, this year of jubilee, every debt was written off. Every slave was set free. The land that had been sold went back to its previous owner. Could you imagine that? 50 years and God saying, now you got to give this back. No, Lord, I, I have built my empire. I have built my land. I have worked this land. This isn't going back to anyone. This is, and you could see where you start, where you start saying, no, no, the Sabbath, I don't need the Sabbath. I have too much to do. This kind of, and I'm not saying God's commanding us that this is the Old Testament law, Leviticus 25. And, and that's not what God's asking us to do, but he's asking us to carry that heart. That, that the things that we believe we belong to us are not actually ours to hold on to. He was challenging greed. But why? I mean, God tells us, tells us to subdue the earth. He, in, fact, in fact, success is something that, that Proverbs talks a lot about, is the why, be, being wise so that you can find success, being generous so that what you invest can be invested back, scattering the bread upon the waters and, and, and being wise in your investments, all that stuff, it's just as much talked about is greed. But I think what he was doing is trying to put into the hearts of his people through habit that their dependence was not on themselves, but on him. And if we recognize that our belongings do not belong to us, they actually belong to him, like we sang, even down to our salvation, and actually most importantly, our salvation, then even our own salvation doesn't belong to us. One author says... They said, uh, guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. But greed says, I owe me. Greed says, I owe me. See, the person whose heart is coated by greed believes that they've earned everything that they possess. And therefore, they have the right to do whatever they want with it. And I get it. I, I, I get that draw. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're naturally generous or not, but I, I grew up very poor and people who grow up very poor are often, often struggle to relinquish because all you remember, all you have memories of is not having. So when you finally have, it's like, I don't want to go back to that place. And all that does is keep you imprisoned. And I still find myself with little silly things going, why why do I not just give this away? Why do I not? I mean, we're told to even loan money without expecting it back. Like this, is a, this seems like a very extreme way to live that God is calling us. But again, why? I think it's fear. I think the motivation behind greed is fear. See, greed is often fear in disguise. Think about when, you're, when you, you find yourself wanting to be greedy. And I, I am not looking at you guys as though you're the greedy and I'm not. I, I admit up here right now, I struggle sometimes with greed. And I think about what is behind that, Josh? I, I don't want to be imprisoned to, <clears throat> to this fear. And I think about the reality that fear is the reason why I find myself oftentimes greedy. I, when, when we had our, our old truck, we don't get asked too often anymore, which is kind of interesting. But when I have my old truck and there's jokes about it, you know, you have a truck and you're people's best friends when they're moving often. And I remember times where that was happening so often years ago that I'm like, I don't even want to drive my truck because I don't want people even knowing I have a truck. Why? Why? It, it's, 
It's a truck that God has allowed me to purchase. Why would I not want to help somebody else out? Because of fear. I've, I have loaned vehicles out. I have loaned four-wheelers out. I've loaned things out, and they've come back broke. And that doesn't help with the whole fear of, of doing that in the future. It's like, nope, if I loan this out, it's going to get broke. It might but it's God's, it's God's piece of machinery. He gave it to me in the first place. He'll, he'll provide what's needed to fix it. And it might totally bless someone else. But I find that that fear is always related to greed. I have a lot of coats. I'm a coat guy. I don't know why I can't go to Costco without like, what coats? This one, this one looks a little bit different than the one I had two years ago. And oh, babe, there's a tiny little rip here in this one. I guess I don't know why I'm drawn to coats, but I have more coats than I wear each year. I have more hunting clothes than I wear each year. Like, I, and I think, man, there's a lot of people that don't, aren't warm enough each year. And yet I find that I just need to keep my collection of coats. My wife tried to pull a trick over me. She turned backwards the hangers in our closet to test if in a year from now, those hangers aren't turned around, we get rid of that. And I caught on to it. <laughs> but you know what? There were a lot of hangers that didn't get turned around. A lot of clothes just sitting there. Why? Fear that I'm not going to have a coat? That's a crazy fear to have. But it's oftentimes related with, with greed. And here's the other thing. Greed never delivers what it promises. When we, when we respond in greed, it never delivers the security, the comfort, the peace we actually desire. Isn't that interesting? We think it's going to promise us, if we just held on to this, if we just keep it, then man, I would, I would feel better. And I don't know about you, but I have made decisions to not help people out or to not do something, and I feel like garbage. And I'm like, man, I would have felt better if I had loaned this out to them and they broke. Now I got to watch them you know, struggle through whatever they're doing, knowing that I can actually help them out and I'm not doing it. It's, it never delivers the peace that it promises. It never delivers the freedom that it promises. 2 Corinthians 8, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're gonna be in verses one through eight. And pay attention to what kind of inner and outer action Paul is calling love here. <clears throat> he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that, so that 
you by his poverty might become rich. Wow. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich for our sake became poor, that us by his, by his poverty might become rich. It is one thing to give without making yourself poor. It's one thing to give of excess. But this is actually not what we see modeled in in Christ, that Christ, though he was rich, didn't just get to a comfort level, but became poor, that through that poverty, we would become rich. I'm actually just realizing that right now for the first time. Like that, that's really powerful. So what is love according to verses one and two? Well, first, it results from from God's work of grace. He says, we want you to know about the grace of God, which has been shown in the churches of Macedonia. It's a work of grace. And second, that that, um, there's an abundance of joy. Verse two, he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, this joy was not because God had made them materially rich. In fact, some people would teach, if you give, God will make you rich. That is not, that is, that is a false gospel. It's false teaching. There is wisdom in that. Like the Proverbs are, are um, uh, principles to live by. But there is no guarantee that if you give someone $1,000, you're going to get 10000 in return. That is, that is a, it is a false teaching. And in fact, that is actually idolatry. That is using others to gain for yourself. The joy was not because God had made them materially rich. In fact, they were in extreme poverty. So what was their joy in? It was not in things, it was in God. Their joy was in their salvation that God had given them. And third, their abundant joy overflowed when Paul took up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Verse four, they begged Paul earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I think of Billy begging us to help out with our bathroom remodel downstairs. I know he's not, he's not happy right now that I'm mentioning this because he doesn't want it because there's a genuine a kindness and a humility, but he begged, guys, please let me help. I think of Berna who's always like, gosh, how can we help the community? How can we get out? Like some of you have begged for opportunity. That is a heart that is, it is, it is, it is undefiled the heart of Jesus. It is, it is so pure in the opportunity. Like I just want to help others at cost to myself. There's a freedom in that. There's a joy that is accompanied in that. And when we see how much, how rich we are in Christ, how that as sons and daughters of, of a sovereign God, all provisional, that we actually have nothing to worry about by being generous. That is true freedom. We can't think that when they were giving liberally, their, their relation to God was compelling them to act against their, their main desires, right? The people in Macedonia. I, mean, I think about when, when we're at the fair or something and, and the kids ask, you know, hey, can we go on a ride? Can we? They're not asking against their desires. They're joyfully asking, hey, can we do this? Can we get this? Because it is a desire in their heart for that. 
It's not against their desire. And yet we see there's a way to live. The people in Macedonia found this way where they could live as though they're eager to serve, eager to help, eager to have joy. They begged him for the privilege of giving. Now, in this, they're denying themselves whatever food, clothing that money might have brought them. But their, their, their self-denial is not for the sake of a joyless uh, endeavor or a begrudging submission. They're giving up pleasure and extra food for the joy of sharing God's grace with others. I think of the, the people that have invested, the, the, the men who have invested in me from, from a time I was a rebellious, hellacious teenager. Guys that, that I gave nothing back to youth pastor and, and other guys in my life that were just like, man, this kid. And I was a pain in the rear to these guys. I was giving them no fruit to brag about. I can tell you that much. And they continued to invest in me. And I looked back to these guys and I cost them heartache. I cost them time. And I look at, they just knew something about the grace of God that they had experienced. It said, man, I want to, I want to give Josh so that he can experience this grace of God also. And it made a massive impact in my life. These people are so full of joy that, that in, in giving, even out of poverty, it's not a burden, but it's a blessing to them. They've discovered the labor of Christian joy and true love. See, love is the overflow of our joy in God, which meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of our joy in God, which meets the needs of others. This is the fulfillment of the, of the greatest commandment. Now, what is generosity? I want to talk about what generosity is not. First, generosity is not reluctant. Reluctant giving in any way towards God is actually a form of blasphemy. It's, it's as though we're saying, you know what? I'm giving this to God out of duty rather than delight and essentially claiming that God is in need of us. It's actually really bad theology. God is in need of nothing from you and I. We are his creation. He needs nothing. He does not need our time. He does not need our, our worship to feed his ego. He does not need our money. He does not need our homes or anything else. He needs nothing from us. So when he is asking us to give, he's actually trying to give us a greater gift than what we are sacrificing. It's the same way when we come to a faith that he's asking us to give up the pleasure of a sinful pursuit, a sinful life for the joy of knowing him. That's incredible that God is looking to give in asking us to abstain. When we believe that God needs us, and, and this happens when we find ourselves begrudgingly giving and, and, and calling it generosity, but, but we're begrudgingly giving of the things we have, we're, we're subconsciously, I think, sometimes exalting ourselves above God as though he would need our resources. But we're told to delight ourselves in the Lord. So Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoy, and enjoy him forever. 
that we are to, we are to glorify God by enjoying him forever. See, if we abandon the pursuit of full and lasting pleasure in our relationship with him, we can't love people or please God. As, as uh, um, John Piper would talk about Christians, Christian hedonism, we've talked before about this idea, and I'm, I'm more and more convinced the more in Scripture I am that, that we are absolutely created to seek out, humanity is created to seek out our greatest sense of pleasure, our greatest, deepest needs being met in pleasure. This is why we're drawn to sin, because we live in an illusion that that sin is the meeting of our greatest sense of pleasure. But nothing is ever enough. And so God says, hey, I'm going to put this desire in you, this desire for eternity. We're told that eternity is in the heart of every man, that there's a desire for us to have the pleasure of eternal life. That's a self-seeking pleasure. But in that creation, that, that the only way that pleasure is fulfilled is in God, is in this relationship with God, is in the trusting of God. And so we should not abandon that desire which is where greed comes in. It's not that, it's not that we're, we're finding pleasure. It's that we're too easily pleased. We're, we're okay with, with the feeling of greed when, when God says, there's so much more I have for you in this abandonment of greed. Hebrews 11.6 said, Is it impossible to please him? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If we're not concerned about our rewards, if there's this idea that Christians, it's just sacrifice, it's just, it's just anguish, it's, it's, you know, like, like Dale talked about, keep them poor, keep them humble, like you just get lowly, you, you, you know, you, you live this life of, of self-sabotage, of joylessness and all that stuff. No, no, we just need to not sell ourselves short for the cheap, cheap pleasures of this life, of things like bank accounts of things like time, of things like tools, in my case. Like, there, there's just, it, why would I not want a greater sense of pleasure? Am I satisfied with that? I'm too easily satisfied, and that's the problem. It's actually a form of religion when we, when we begrudgingly bring offerings to the Lord. He alone is holy. He alone is creator. He alone is sustainer. He's not in need of our begrudging submission. I think about oftentimes when we come here, we think, well, we're coming to a service where we just serve the Lord. And, and I think what, what, where we miss out is that the Apostle John's approach to, to saying, man, we are the one whom Jesus loved. It's not an arrogant statement that John was the only one. He just understood how much Jesus loved him. And I think when we come here on Sunday mornings, we ought to expect Jesus to be serving us. That sounds crazy. I understand how it sounds. But think about when Jesus talked to Peter when he was trying to wash Peter's feet. And Peter said, no, no, Lord, I'm not, I'm not worthy of that. Jesus says, no, you don't understand. You have to let me do this. We come here and, and we have nothing to bring to the Lord except our hearts, except our joy, except our time, except these other things, but God is not in need of them. So God wants us to gather together. He gives us talents to sing. He gives us scripture to read. He gives us friendships to build and all those things so that he can serve us through being together. He gives us resources so that he can serve his people through each other. And there's joy given to God's people in the midst of that. 
That was the whole point of Acts 2, that they shared everything. They had everything in common. Our service to the Lord should be joyful, even in the midst of difficulty. Second thing that generosity is not, it's not compulsive. The the have to versus get to um, idea. The only way to honor and glorify God is to come to him for the pleasure of knowing him and being loved by him. The only way to honor and glorify God is to come to him for the pleasure of knowing and being loved by him. Generosity requires a work of God in our hearts. Philemon 14, he says, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. 1 Peter 5.2, talking to leaders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I, I counsel, I do counseling work with a lot of pastors in the, valley that, in the valley, and some of them are serving out of a great deal of compulsion, either because they don't want to go find another job or they think that they're going to let God down if they don't, and they have no joy in, in sharing, sharing their life with people. There's no joy in ministry for them. It's just, it's gone, and, and Scripture's very clear. Don't do it under compulsion, so why do we sometimes feel the need to give or serve under this compulsion? I'm not talking about just within the walls of the church. I'm talking about in our individual lives as followers of Jesus. Why is there this, this need to serve under compulsion? Why can't we pursue the joy in it? And I think it's all perspective. He said, we're afraid that if we were to give, if we were to share, if we were to sacrifice, that God would not meet our needs. Great questions to ask. Do you feel like you have to or you get to spend time with Jesus? Do you feel like you have to or you get to read the word? Do you feel like you have to or you get to seek his face through prayer? Do you feel like you have to or get to include him in your life? Do you feel like you have to or get to serve him through serving people around you? Do you feel like you have to or you get to obey him? See, it's the have to versus get to life that will be revealing of these areas in our lives. When I'm feeling greedy, oftentimes I will say, well, I have to loan this out. That's not the heart that Jesus wants me loaning out with. He actually wants me to change my perspective so that I entrust myself to him so that that is a joy to give whatever it is. And one of the ways we get to experience God's love is by entrusting ourselves to him and his provision. Matthew 6, 24 through 33. This is my wife and I's life verse that we've <clears throat> been pursuing for a long time. And, and God is, is over a long period of time showing us a deeper and deeper way to enjoy uh, this life. But he says in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money or God in mammonos is, is the actual word there. So it's not just money, it's possessions basically which includes money. He says, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we think about God prompting our hearts to do certain things, and we, we, we recluse back into this state of fear. This is what he's talking about. That fear brings out this anxiety. We're, we're anxious about the things that God already knows we need, and we really keep ourselves robbed from the joy of living a generous life. <clears throat> we have nothing to stress about, nothing to worry about. God does not stop being, being our provider because circumstances change. I mean, think about why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give away all I have and I deliver, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is the whole, this is the whole downside to, to religion. It's, well, I'm just doing these things and I get this in return. But if you don't have a love behind it, then I can give of something. And if there's not love behind it, it means nothing. It means nothing. See, God is trying to gift me opportunities to be liberated from the life of greed, from the life of really fear, fear of not having, fear of not trusting the Lord. Because genuine love is always more than action, but it's included in action. Paul didn't hold up the, hold the Macedonians up as examples of love just because they gave generously. He held them up because their giving was the overflow of abundant joy in the grace of God. That's what he was, that's what he was lifting up out of them, that they had a joy in God and that, that, that a joy was overflowing. See, benevolent action does not flow from our joy in God's grace if it is not met with love. The only thing Paul will call love is the compassion and charitable action of people who have found their satisfaction in God. Because you can have people give selfishly. We see it. That, that person I was telling you about who grew up with, with parents who had this need to have an image of success and they gave at a greedy cost to their own family. It was not a, a we will recklessly abandon all our possessions and trust the Lord. It was, it was, no, we are doing this because I need people to think that I'm successful. And on the outside, they gave away their money for years. This is how these people lived. The only thing that we need to focus on when we have opportunities to give, serve, come together, meet needs, is the joy we have in a, in a providing Savior. That's it. I know it, it is countercultural. I know it is foolish. I, it seems foolish to the world, I should say. But this is how 
we are to be the church. This is how we are to take care of one another, whether it be food, skills, money, time, a ride, listening ear, whatever it is. That, that God's ultimate desire is that you and I experience the deep joy, even if it costs us these things, that we have a deep joy in him. And when that is met, when we are starting to have that joy in him, you will find a strength that is unshakable. You will find a faith that is growing. You will find a trust in the Lord. You will find an intimacy with the Lord that you've never had. And you will begin to experience what the abiding life is actually <clears throat> uh, describing. It's incredible. It's incredible. But we have to take those steps. And, and, and if, if you find yourself begrudgingly doing something, step back for a second. Say, God, I have this need. I don't want to do it. Will you help address this in my heart so that you can do it with joy? I would even say, even if it's giving a tithes and offering or a benevolent ministry, like if, if there is something you say, no, no, I, I need to kind of feel guilted into this, Please don't, because I know that God, God will meet the needs. God will meet the needs of the people in our community. He will meet the needs of our benevolent ministry. That, that's what he, what he wants for us is liberation. What he wants for us is hearts to entrust that we can find our satisfaction and our joy in him as we give. But think about, think about opportunities. I love, I love the idea of, te of, of testing the Lord in this way. That, that I want to I wanna taste him and see that he's good. He says, come, taste and see that I am good. I want to I know when Jesus says it's better to give than to receive, like I want to test that and say, okay, teach me how that works here. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's easy. But I, wanna, I want to, my, my goal with that and our goal with generosity should be to meet with the heart of God, to have the mind of Christ that like Christ, we can get to a place where though we may be rich, we can become poor for the sake of someone else. Could you imagine living like that as the Apostle Paul lived? Whether well-fed or hungry, rich or poor, he's found the secret to contentment. And that was a joy in his relationship with God. God delights in cheerful givers. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must do as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. It is that simple, friends. It's a matter of joy. It's a matter of freedom that you actually want to experience, whether you engage in this. I'm going to read that again. Each one, this is the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, each one must do as he's made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. When people don't find pleasure in their acts of service, God doesn't find pleasure in the acts of service. If we abandon the pursuit of that full and lasting pleasure, we can't please God. God is pleased with cheerful givers. So if we're indifferent to whether we do a good thing joyfully, we're indifferent to what pleases God. And what pleases God is when we delight to give. Not just the act of giving, but when we delight to give. 1 John 3, 17, but if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 
I will tell you that I have done some really, really generous things for people with a heart completely closed off to it. Because I'm like, well, I gotta, you know, God's, hopefully God won't be mad at me if I do this. Or, you know, or, or, or manipulating like, well, I want this person to think I'm, I'm really helpful. But inside my heart was like, this is, this is ridiculous. I have done that many times before and it has never delivered peace. It has never delivered a joy in the Lord or anything. It's just been reluctant giving of religious acts. That's all it was. And I'm like, man, I missed out on that. That means nothing in the kingdom because God is after our hearts. See, the message we have for the world is the generosity of Christ through the gospel. What a, what a perfect song we sing. It is the good news. The good news in itself by nature is generous. A heart of generosity. It pleased the Lord. What did, it, what did Jesus say? It was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't for the willingness to sacrifice his body, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. That is incredible. So Jesus needs nothing from us. And he was able to give himself to the cross joyfully because his only joy was found in his relationship with the Father and the possibility of us being reconciled and brought into that relationship. That is pure, unadulterated generosity. Incredible. So I would say we ought not settle for lesser pleasures. The obstacle that keeps us from obeying the first commandment or the greatest commandment of loving God with all of our hearts, body, mind, strength, is the same obstacle that keeps us from obeying the second commandment of loving our neighbor like Christ loves us. The obstacle is not that we're all trying to please ourselves, but that we're all too far easily pleased. We don't believe Jesus when he says it's better to give than to receive. We get more joy, more fullness, and lasting pleasure in life, but we don't believe that that's going to be the case. And yet God has more for us. Matthew 6, 19 and 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. George Mueller um, <clears throat> of Bristol, he, he was an a incredible man, inspiration, chose to build a ministry never asking for uh, money. I think it's fine to ask for money. He chose not to because he wanted to see for himself he wanted to see the Lord provide in absolute miraculous ways. And he built um, millions and millions of dollars worth of orphanages for folks, never asking for a bit of money at all. And, and I think this was his motivation. He says, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Imagine if we took that approach every day, whether we're out working, hunting, shoveling, helping, homeschooling, whatever it is. If we say, man, my, my primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Not circumstances, but my soul happy in the Lord. 
See, we don't give to get. That would be greedy. But when we give, we can, we can get free from the idol of greed and the fear of not having. And here's the truth, that God will give us more opportunities to invest in others if we're faithful with the few that we have. Think of the way we would parent our kids. Same thing. That I want to give them more responsibility as they show more opportunities, more freedoms, as they show that, they're, that their heart is right and that they're, they're making wise decisions. And they're responsible with it. Faithful with little, I'll give you much. And that much isn't so that we can say, finally, I've got mine. The much is so we can say, hey, now I have more to help, more to give, more joy to get. That should be the focus of, of what, we, what we look at, at funds that come into our account. We should look at the joy funds and say, is that account stacked? And God will give us opportunity for that. Again, greed is not a financial issue. So would you ask God to tell you what he wants you to do with the excess in your life? Would you ask God to give you wisdom in, in the times that, that you have that prompting in your heart to say, hey, maybe I should help this person. Maybe this is something I should invest in. Maybe this is something I should do. And just ask the Lord. I, I, no, no person, no pastor, no counselor, no advisor can tell you these sorts of things. This is the joy of walking with the Holy Spirit. Is it, it doesn't matter where you are, what, what state of, of mind you're in, anything else, what circumstance you're in, you can go to the Spirit and say, God, is this something you would have me do? And I'll tell you that not all good things are for you to do. Not all good things are for you to do. I have an abundance of things that, that I have opportunity to do, and I, and I should be willing to at least engage the Lord and say, God, is this something you would have me help out with or do? But, but God does have things for us to do. He does have opportunities for us to serve, for us to give, for us to help. And it's so that our soul can be happy with the Lord. We love him because he first loved us, and it's from that place that all else comes. All the worship team come back up. This life out of greed and into generosity is not a one-time fix or, or a, a pill that we take. It's a habit, the habit of generosity, which is really the habit of engaging the Lord through opportunity. We're told that we've been given the spirit of wisdom and truth, and he'll guide us in giving and withholding. Because sometimes it actually, there's, there's a great book called When Helping Hurts. Sometimes we help when we shouldn't. It's not a formula. There's just things that we need the Spirit of God to give us wisdom with. So is it ever generous to withhold? Yeah, sometimes it is. But we don't know that. And so we engage and seek the one who does, seek the wisdom from the Spirit and say, God, what would you have me do? If there's fear involved, then you know it's not of the Lord. If there's anxiety that you're not gonna, that you're gonna go without because God might not be faithful to you, that's not the will of God. But if there's wisdom in saying, you know what, if I help this person in this way, it's actually gonna hurt them. I believe it's gonna hurt them. That is a heart of generosity with wisdom. Our hearts are shaped by what we do. Feelings don't change anything, actions do. So the way to conquer greed is through engaging in the heart of generosity. And the heart of generosity is given by the pursuit of joy. 
Generosity is meant to liberate us to a life of joy. So if you're lacking joy, ask God. Ask God for it. Ask God for opportunities to meet him in ways that give you the joy of generosity. You know, in, in counseling, they recommend people who are dealing with severe depression to go find a way to give, of, of uh, to help someone else, basically. That, that is the most effective way out of bouts of depression is to, is to give of yourself to something greater. Because it just, depression is a, a, a funky thing and it, it spirals you into just a, a world of, of isolation. And in order to break out of that is not more deeper thinking or, or little, little behavioral changes. It is looking and saying, man, I need to get out of my own head and see the greater picture of joy. And it's in that process that most people are brought out of bouts of depression. Generosity is meant to liberate us to a life of joy. Would you guys stand as we worship?